RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so glad that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Great guest today, uh, former Impact World Heavyweight Champion and current member of the National Wrestling Alliance, Eli Drake. What a great job he does on the microphone and uh, does a good job in the ring. Has an interesting story, and I'm looking forward to talking to him. And uh, not... uh, the most politically correct um, person, but you got to appreciate and and admire the fact that in this day and age where uh, you could get in some heat for saying certain things, he's not afraid to speak his truth. So looking forward to that. Uh, also, real quick, next week we are scheduled to have Joe Hennig, better known as Curtis Axel, uh, here, and we're really excited about that. We hope we're able to make that happen. If not next week, it will be in the coming weeks, but uh, we're 99% sure we got locked in. Uh, so want to thank uh, WWE for making that happen and helping to make that happen. And uh, looking forward to talking to Joe about uh, being a third-generation wrestler, hearing some stories about growing up the grandson of Larry the Axe Hennig and the son of uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, who to this day is probably one of the most funny guys uh behind the scenes and fun guys that I've ever met in this business. And uh, so be interesting. And uh, so if you have any questions for Joe Hennig, a.k.a. Curtis Axel, be sure to hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Always happy to entertain any questions that you may have uh, for these segments. Uh, Before we get to Eli Drake, I want to send a huge congratulations to my friend. He's been on the show a couple times. He will be on the show uh, soon. And I'm talking about Tony Schiavone, my friend. He used to be my boss. And um, he, as you know, recently signed a full-time contract with All Elite Wrestling. He'll be uh, doing play-by-play, and he's be uh, doing uh, production, executive producer, which is exactly what he did in WCW. So, uh, so great for him. And the ironic part is, is Tony walked away. You know, we talked, uh, we talked, uh, to Ice Train a couple weeks ago about very few people that get to walk away. Uh, Tony walked away. He never really looked back and he, you know, he got with the Braves as a, uh, minor league announcer and took it, you know, had some jobs in sports, uh, up in Atlanta where he lives. But he walked away. He came back. He did one segment for Impact Wrestling, uh, TNA, and then he he never and, and and then he came back on his own terms too. He walked away on his own terms. He came back on his own terms. He uh, had an offer from Conrad Thompson to do his podcast, and he decided that he wanted to do it to offset the finances that uh, his daughter getting married would incur. And he was going to stop at that point, and he decided to keep on. So every everything that he's done since the the end since the last Monday Night Show has been uh, has been the way he wanted to do it. No, nobody's maybe I take away the one appearance at at Impact at TNA, which uh, if you listen to our podcast uh, about a year or so back, he knew was uh, was the wrong thing to do as soon as he did it. He knew it was it wasn't something he wanted to be involved in. 
For him to come back 20 years later, almost 20 years later to the exact day to uh, to be back on TNT. And I say the same thing about Keith Mitchell, but Keith Mitchell never left the wrestling business. Uh, he's the uh, exec, uh, executive producer and he's worked with Impact Wrestling, TNA. Uh, now he's with AEW as well. Both of those guys uh, left the same day I left. We had to uh, pack up all our stuff. And once we left, we could not come back. And then, uh, but Tony left on his own volition, on his own terms, came back to wrestling on his own terms. And now 20 years later, going back to TNT for a weekly episodic wrestling television show on his own terms. That is fantastic. That is a story that most people do not get to live out. And I couldn't be happier for Tony and his family. And he certainly deserves it. He is a... Uh, great person, got to know him uh, in WCW behind the scenes uh, before the craziness that was the Monday Night Wars, the kind of war on him towards the end. And boy, there weren't many people working harder than Tony Schiavone back then between, uh, you know, Nitro and Thunder and being the executive producer for all those shows. So uh, I'm sure Tony's excited. We hope to get him on here soon. Uh, texted with him. And his response was amazing. It was amazing that he's gotten to come back and be on TNT. So congratulations to hit to him, and uh, I'm sure him and Keith Mitchell will uh, will be uh, thinking about some old times when uh, when October second comes around and uh, they're back on the TNT network. So. Uh, congratulations, Tony Schiavone. You did it your way. Not many people get to say that. Jerry, should we play like my way now? At the, this little Frank Sinatra or Paul Anka? Um, we won't do that. So anyway, we will at this point introduce our guest this week. Uh, looking forward to talking to him. He is a former TNA and Impact World Heavyweight Champion now with the National Wrestling Alliance, who will be taping television of their own in September at a studio in Atlanta. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm talking about the one and only Eli Drake. Welcome to Sitting Ringside. All right, looking forward to talking to my guest this week on Sitting Ringside, former TNA and Impact World Heavyweight Champion, and now with the National Wrestling Alliance. And I'm I'm assuming that's exclusive. Let me introduce you. Eli, the one and only Eli Drake is my guest. Uh, Eli, is that... um, is that exclusive with the National Wrestling Alliance? That is exclusive. Uh, and, and it's strange how things have come full circle because now it's got me working. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we have TV coming up here at the end, end of the month in Atlanta. But, uh, uh, you know, now I'm back working Championship Wrestling Room Hollywood occasionally. And uh, that's where, where I kind of started in a certain sense. So it's kind of cool to go full circle like that and still get paid amazing money. So it's really good. There you go. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, and I will. I'm a, I want to start at the beginning, but I was going to ask you a little bit in a little bit about the championship wrestling from Hollywood. I know that you ended up there after Heart- Heartland Wrestling Alliance. My good friend, uh, uh, oh God, I can't think of his name now. Uh, oh, my good friend, Les, Les Thatcher. Thatcher. Yes, Les Thatcher. Yeah. And um, uh, so I, I, I didn't know that much about the NWA championship wrestling from Hollywood. So I look forward to you telling me a little bit about it. First of all, before we go there, uh, were you a wrestling fan growing up? And if so, what promotion or wrestlers did you uh, favor? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, I mean, I watched just about everything that – Well, okay, so it mostly came from my dad. So I watched everything that my dad watched. My dad watched – man, we watched WWF. We watched 
uh, NWA on Saturday nights. We watched, uh, I think, AWA had a little stint on ESPN. Um, sure. Hell, I think I think even WCCW might have been on ESPN for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, I mean, it was pretty much anything I could consume. Of course, the front runner there was WWF and Hulk Hogan, and that was that was my thing uh, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I wasn't a huge, enormous wrestling fan uh, because this business is not easy. And so if I didn't love it, I, I can't imagine how I would have ever uh, spent this much time in it. Uh, toiled away as long as I have uh, to, to get the, the success I have had to this point. You really have to have a passion, that's for sure. And out of all the guests that I've interviewed, uh, we've done over 110 of these podcasts. Uh, almost every story is the same. There's very there's a couple here and there that say they lucked into it, you know, and they they didn't they they did you know weren't fans growing up. Uh, but 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 98 percent of the people we talk to, it's it's more about their passion to 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 be in this business and to study all kinds of different um, uh, styles and, and, and succeed, which you certainly Man, have. I wish I'd have lucked into it. That would have been a lot easier if I could have just lucked into it. Yeah. <laughs> Vampiro says he lucked into it, but um, and he kind of he kind of did. You know, he kind of did. He uh, was something that Mexico was didn't even know they need, they wanted until he got there. But uh, that's a whole different story for a whole different That's podcast. wild. But um, – so you ended up in, uh, you, uh, if the internet is correct, and it usually is about 50-50, Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. you were born in Maryland, correct? <laughs> yes, that's it. That is oh, correct. They so are, far, one for one. Right. But uh, you ended up in Ohio at the Heartland Wrestling Alliance. Uh, like I said, Les Thatcher and um, uh, who's the name of the, the uh, Cody Hawk? Is that right? Cody Hawk. Cody Hawk, yeah. Uh, well, okay, so so I, I grew up, born and raised Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, was there until I went to college at WVU for about a year and a half. That didn't pan out. So I uh, went back to Hagerstown for a little bit, and I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, uh, but I didn't really know how. So I, I remember I just found the number. I, I did a, an Internet search for WWF's number at the time, and I uh, found their, their office phone number and just asked for uh, talent relations and uh, I don't know who I talked to or who picked up the phone, but I asked them if they recommended any particular school. They said they couldn't officially recommend anything. They have OVW as their uh, as their developmental area in Louisville, Kentucky. And I said, well, okay, that's where I'm going to go. Um, so I was dead set on that. And uh, so I t- told some friends, I'm going to move to Kentucky. I'm going to go and do that. And another friend, uh, a girl I knew was looking out for me, and I guess she had done some searching and she'd found HWA, also had a contract with WWE at the time. Uh, and so I was like, I kind of put that on the back burner. I was like, right, you know what, I'll check it out. So I was like 19 years old. I, I got in my pickup truck I had at the time. I drove, man, I think it was nine hours from Hagerstown out to Louisville, Kentucky, just on a random weekend in July of 2002. Um, drove out there, got to Louisville, did not like it. I just didn't like the feel of the place. Uh, and I pretty much immediately turned around and went to Cincinnati on the way back. And I checked out Cincinnati, went to HWA, liked everything about it. Um, and uh, going there about six, seven months later. And how, how involved was, I know Cody was your main trainer, but how involved was Les at that point in uh, the HWA? It, Les was kind of on his way out. I, I think that uh, they were in a transitional state as far as, uh, 
uh, as far as Cody kind of taking over, but Les was still there pretty regularly. I mean, he would come in and uh, he'd do commentary for the local TV shows we'd do. Um, he was there doing training, I think, every Wednesday. Uh, and and he'd usually be a presence, but, I mean, the, the hands-on trainer for the most part was, was Cody by that point in time. So you referenced this earlier. At some point, you end up in NWA Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. I am not that familiar with that promotion. I know a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the names that have emerged over the past uh, five to ten years have gone through that promotion. Um, how did you end up there? And, and and tell me a little bit about it, if you don't mind. Man, it was it was complete happenstance. I mean, after I left uh, after I left Ohio, um, I, I came out to the West Coast, just kind of looking for uh, good weather, uh, beautiful women, if I'm honest, and uh, just kind of some different opportunities, and just get in a. I feel like if you stay in one wrestling pond too long, um, it, it doesn't really serve you, especially if that's where you started. I feel like at some point you have to kind of branch out, see different places, do different things. So my idea is just come out and do here, come out here and do that and see if I could also uh, kind of dip my toe into acting a little bit as well. So um, when I got out here, um, I just kind of searched around to see what different promotions there were, what different schools to, to, to train there were. And I found a place called... Uh, uh, Mach One Wrestling in Anaheim, California, and that was a bit of a, a bit of a hike uh, to get down there. But I, but I got down there and went to a training seminar, or not a training seminar, but just a training session. It was like a Monday night or something. Um, and uh, I ended up just by happenstance meeting Dave Marquez. He was there uh, at the training. He didn't he didn't run Mach One, but Mach One was technically part of the NWA in some small way. Uh, and they would run Friday night shows, and I started doing their shows pretty regularly. In came Brian Cage. Um, they started teaming us up together, and Dave Marquez liked that tag team. And then he was like, well, we're going to bring in uh, Percy Pringle because we're going to start doing TV here in Los Angeles. And so we started doing NWA Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And on the debut episode, it was me and Brian Cage as a tag team, a video package of Percy Pringle because he couldn't be there at the time because WWE had just re-scooped him up in 2011. I've heard I've heard stories like that too often, but yeah, right. So so he had to go back up and do the whole Paul Bearer thing, uh, at least for a couple months. Then he came back um, and uh, he was then exclusively my manager then for a while up until he passed in 2013. Well, wow, tell me about that. Tell me about working with Percy Pringle. I didn't know that part of the story. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, a legend, uh, a, a good friend in, in the sense of like, man, I could hit him up any, any, any time, whether it was a text, a phone call, a Facebook message, whatever. It was just, you know, sometimes you'd see the posts that he would put on his personal page or, or, or when you talk to him, you could tell he was kind of lonely after the passing of his wife. Um, and he was kind of just ready to go in a sense. So that part was kind of sad. But I mean, as far as having him next to me, Amazing, because here's a guy I'd watched since I was a little kid. Um, I mean, way back WCCW, and 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 then getting into when he was Paul Bear with the Undertaker. Um, just crazy stuff to, to even consider that now this guy was my manager. He's just walking around singing my praises, and you know we're cutting promos together. He's coming to the ring with me, uh, and just a funny guy, cracking jokes all the time. I can remember him pulling his big giant behind out while people were doing. Uh, <laughs> while they were doing uh, promos and stuff just to mess with them. Um, a, a really good time, and I miss the guy for sure. So NWA Championship Wrestling from Hollywood is, I know David Marquez owns it, is, it's taped in a studio, correct? 
Like, well, now, well, you know, it, it was a studio back then in like 2012, 2013. Uh, now they moved up to a theater in uh, Port Winnemi, I think it is. It's up in uh, Ventura County. It's a really nice looking setup. Uh, I mean, when you when you look at it, you you feel like you're looking at raw or something like that as far as the production value. I mean, it's actually surprising because when you get to the building, it's kind of a quaint little, like kind of a humble building. Uh, and then when you see the finished product as far as uh, how it's been edited, directed and all that stuff, it, it actually looks amazing. Do they run house shows or is this just a television entity? I think it's mostly television. They might do occasional house shows, but for the most part, it's it's TV every couple of weeks. Um, and, and that's something I something that uh, Lagana and and, uh, and and Billy Corgan kind of send me in to do just on occasion to get extra footage and whatnot, uh, especially with with me being out here and them kind of having a partnership there. Technically, Championship Wrestling in Hollywood, I guess, isn't technically considered NWA anymore. Since about 2012, I think that that relationship uh, dissolved. I think there was a bunch of issues there with whoever the president was at the time. Uh, but Lagana and and Marquez have always had a great personal and, and professional relationship. Um, so it's kind of easy to just go up there, work with them, get some footage, and then we've got some stuff to work with on top of whatever. At home, I go to you know where I go to Atlanta with with Lagana and Billy or whoever. We're going to talk more about those Atlanta tapings coming up, but. Uh, you did uh, last about a year, maybe less, at the WWE Performance Center. Uh, wondering what went wrong in that uh, whole venture. Uh, well, it, it was exactly a year and a week. Um, uh, I, I think my first day was July 22nd, 2013, and I think my last day was like August 2nd of uh, 2014. Um, and, uh, well... You know, it's funny. I, uh, I I just listened to a clip the other day of uh, Bill DeMott talking to Disco Inferno, I think it was, about uh, uh, why I didn't make it there. And he had said, you know, he's, he's immensely talented. I like him. He's, he's crazy talented, but he didn't want to play uh, by the playbook that was put in front of him. And I can't say that he's entirely wrong. Um, I, if I'm, I've become more self-aware, I think, um, in the sense of, uh, I've never been great uh, at following rules. I'm I'm not a jerk. Uh, I'm not uh, you know I'm, I'm not like a troublemaker or anything like that. But as far as being on time to things, uh, I'm awful. Um, that was always a big thing there. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times I've been fined at WWE for like they used to joke that I'd paid for one of the rings with all my fines for being late. Um, uh, stuff like that, but but that's the story of my life. That, that's when I was in high school. I, they, they used to have something called in school suspension, where they would basically just you'd sit in a room and they would just give you busy work. And I would get that on occasion just for having three. If you had three days late in one marking term, uh, they would give you in school suspension. So like I'm in here with kids who did like real stuff, like they're uh, you know maybe they're skipping score, they got in a fight or something like that. I was just late three times, and I'm in here with them for some reason. Um, so, so somehow I'm like the bad kid that doesn't really do anything that bad. Um, and somehow that's carried over into wrestling, I think. So, so it, and it's funny because even when I was, when I was released, they were like, uh, I was told straight to my face, we think you're immensely talented. Uh, we'd like to have you back at some point if we can get rid of this stigma. But right now there's just a stigma, uh, about you and we need that to go away. And the only way for that to go away is for you to go away. Uh, for maybe six months, nine months, 12 months, and then the door can be open to you. And true to the word, the door was open to me. 
maybe about, I would say almost a year to the day, uh, maybe a year and a couple weeks after that. But uh, ultimately, Impact ended up offering me a nice raise to stay there. Uh, and so I took it and I stayed. Um, now, at the time, at the time, that was a great choice. I still think it was the right choice, but some could some could argue that maybe the uh, the better gamble would have been to uh, to take the offer and go to WWE. But but at the time, the, the zeros that were on the page for Impact were looking real good to a guy who had just been broke maybe about uh, three four years before that. You just never know how who's going to catch on there. Uh... It's it's you know you, you it's, it seems like it's pretty safe bet that when you get to NXT if you're talented then they're going to bring out that talent but once you get called up to the main roster you know we both know people who have been called up to the main roster who who can't really find a a, a, a place there and uh, man that's that, that's really true and and I gotta wonder if that disconnects not just a little bit of like weird tension between. Hunter and Vince, and I would have to imagine that that has to be what it is in a sense. But also, I mean, if you look at the landscape of NXT, they're doing great with with their NXT audience. They're all very small, and you know that Vince doesn't like small guys. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest one of the biggest hits against them, at least in Vince's eyes. Yeah, but guys like Ricochet have done way better than guys. You know, some guys that I don't want to mention anybody and point anybody out, but. Uh... But some yeah. guys that have gotten called up and 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 kind of just are hanging around doing nothing, and, and I, I don't know that there's any rhyme or reason. I think Vince is sports entertainment, and he either gets you or he doesn't. And Hunter's, I think, is a is a wrestling fan, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, oddly, like you know, I, I've got friends who are, who are up there, and, and sometimes they'll tell me what all is going on, and and they don't really. Like they're happy to be there and be getting the money, but sometimes they'll tell me the booking decisions, and I'm like, I I don't even understand this. Like I I'm I'm wondering how anybody really gets over in any real fashion becomes a a bigger star. So I mean, there's there, there's some draw to that. I mean, when when some of my friends tell me the money they're making, I'm like, well, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. At the same time, sometimes I just consider the schedule and I consider. Uh, the good fortune that I have to, to live the life that I'm living, the schedule that I'm living, and still get paid a, a very livable wage, if you will. Um, so I, I don't know. There's a lot of trade-offs. Yeah, going back to your breath, breakfast club days, it reminds me of a story that has absolutely nothing to do with professional wrestling, and you probably <laughs> don't care, but, I, but it, I, I'm just going to tell it just because it reminds me of it. So in, when I was a senior in high school, uh, junior in high school, I had to walk to school, and I'm about as athletic as... Uh, as uh, nothing, and and so I would always be late to this one to my first class, and and like you said, they put you, you know, you get in trouble and all that, and so finally, yep. and I, I, you know, I, I just didn't care. I, I it wasn't that I was a bad student. I just could never get up in time and get my ass out of bed and get there on time for whatever reason. I was four, yep. 16, 17 years old. So, uh, so I was in a world of crap, and so the principal called a meeting with my teacher. <laughs> And me and uh, my parents. And there was no way that I wasn't, you know, either going to be suspended. And for somebody like, you know, that was brought up, though I was brought up to be suspended from high school, is like, it's like uh, going, but, you know, getting, getting put in jail. Uh, but the teacher. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, oh, my mom would freak out. She'd be like, what, what, what are you doing with your life? Do, yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> but the teacher, about halfway through, ended up making an anti Semitic comment, and we're Jewish. And oh. and my mom and dad looked at each other and the and the and the principal was like, "All right, this is over. We're going to drop everything and forget about all this stuff." 
And, and I, I, I haven't thought about that story in 30 years, but I got out of it because, because uh, I guess uh, politically incorrect was still something back then. Even though, uh, but it, it even, yeah, right. even though I'm not a big fan of politically correct political correctness, it helped me out in the uh, in in the eleventh grade. So I don't know why I told that story, but um, so you go to imp- absolutely. Well, well, my wondering, my curiosity with that is, did you ever get better with being late to things? Because I can't seem to break that. <laughs> not really. I mean, I'm a realtor now. I got a you know, and when I was a ring announcer, <laughs> I had to be there to start the show. So. You know, I, things force me to have to be there when it's when it's something that you're you're you have a family and your your job depends on it as opposed to just rolling oh, yeah. in the school. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still uh, at 53 years old. I'm still not very good unless I have to be with uh, with showing up on time. Right, Jerry? Yep. <laughs> Jerry says thumbs up. So you ended up in impact wrestling. Um you take on the name Eli Drake. Who brought you in? Who came up with that uh, "quote unquote" character and the name? Uh, well, it was uh, I, oddly enough, uh, David Lagana reached out to me uh. Um, uh, at the time because see, I knew him from Championship Wrestling in Hollywood because I, I think after he left WWE um, for a little stint, he had hung around LA. He was uh, doing a little bit of writing for Championship Wrestling of Hollywood with Dave Marquez. So we were familiar with each other already from there. And so he had gone to Impact. I went to WWE, and then I was released. And I think it was maybe, ah, man, it was probably just before Christmas of 2014 that I got a text message from David Legata um, asking if I was, you know, free and clear of my, my uh, free and clear of my contract from WWE, all that. Uh, if I was interested in uh, having a tryout, this, that. And so um, they ended up bringing me in for a gut check um, in, in February 2015. And that went really, really well. Um, and it, they had me working under my real name. So I was like, well, okay. I was like, well, that'll that'll be cool. We'll just go with that. And uh, then I came to the next taping after they'd signed me. And they were just like, uh, I think it was John Gaborik was like, uh, how do you feel about Eli Drake? And I was like, well, I was like, point me in a direction. I'll go. And that was that. And at that point it was, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't change really too much. I just kind of kept doing what I was doing as far as the way I talked, the way I walked, the way I did everything. Um, and I, I mean, from there, even, even the way I say Eli Drake was kind of just an accident with, uh, you know, I was just doing a promo one time and, and I'd said, I think I had a crutch in my hand or something. And I was like, my name is Eli Drake, but you wouldn't know that because Drew McIntyre, Drew uh, Galloway always wants to talk for me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, damn, if, why don't I just always say it that way? And then it became more exaggerated and bigger. And some people know it and some people don't. <laughs> what can I say? You were always very, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke up your, your backside, but they're always entertaining on the mic. Uh, was that, that was that so, you know seriously that I had my short run in uh, with Impact after uh, Anthem took over and got to see some of the stuff that you did uh, some of the you, you had I think they gave you a segment with a, a couch and a, a, a Chris yeah. Adonis was out there and and it was all it was all very it was one of the more entertaining things that they were putting out there at the time I'm wondering are, are you. you just a natural on the mic or uh, is it was a process that you learned uh, and if so from who did you learn. 
I mean, I feel weird saying that I was a natural on the mic, um, but, 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 but that was always kind of my, my focus. Um, cause those were the guys that I liked, um, when I was growing up and so like my brothers were also kind of wrestling fans, but they're very much more casual. Like they, they don't, they didn't watch it as much as I did, but they were like into it. And back, especially in like the late nineties, they were always like, man, I, I just watched the wrestling for the talking. And, and in a way, in a way, so did I not really. I mean, I watched the wrestling for the whole thing, but at the same time, like the guys that I gravitated the most toward were the guys who could talk. Um, like people talk about the great classics that, you know, Ray Mysterio put on with whomever in 1996 at Halloween Havoc or whatever. And I'm sure it was a great match, but it didn't do anything for me because he didn't talk. So like, unless a guy came out and talked some trash, like it just, it wasn't the same. So like I was way into the NWO. I was way into Austin rock DX, um, anybody who taught the godfather val venus it's crazy because it seemed like everybody top to bottom uh at that point in time at least could talk to some degree like they didn't all have to be the the best promos ever but they had characters they could talk they were over they had catchphrases um and so that was what i that was what i wanted to be um and so to me it was just like anytime i got a chance uh, on a smaller show, I would try to grab the mic and just cut a quick little one minute promo or whatever. Um, and in training, very rarely at training would we ever do promo class, uh, but we would do it on occasion. And I was like always excited to just grab the microphone and, and start saying some stuff because that was, I'd say that was probably the biggest reason I wanted to get into wrestling. The wrestling part was, was cool, but it was definitely secondary. Um, I'm sort of, well, I'm sort of with you. A second, it's probably even. I'm sort of with you on that, man. As a fan growing up, I mean, I, I you watch the wrestling, and and it was it's totally different uh, then than it was than it is now. Uh, a lot more Met based, especially where I grew up in Florida. Well, yeah, because I, well, I mean, even think of think even if you think outside of outside of wrestling, think of the boxing. Um, Muhammad Ali sure. was a great fighter, but I don't think he'd have been thought of as being as great as he was if he didn't have the rap that he had. Sure, sure. with. And, and and you consider UFC now. Conor McGregor, I don't know if he's won his last couple fights or not. I, I don't think he has, but he's still a big deal because he talks a bunch of trash. His personality. And he punches old um, men in the face. That's what always drew me to wrestling. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, there's that too, I guess. You're, you're right. And uh, I grew up... <laughs> but, but I mean... It, Go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, I mean, even when you get back into the wrestling realm, um, like a lot of people would be like, okay, CM Punk was great, blah, 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 whatever. But the one thing they always remember, the pipe bomb, right? Sure. So he's got the pipe bomb. And before that, he was barely on the map. But after the pipe bomb, greatest things in sliced bread. Oh, um, absolutely. It just goes to show you got to have character. you got to be able to talk. And that was what drew me to it. So that's at least as important as the wrestling, if not more so. Because that's what draws the people in. That's why Ric Flair was huge. That's why Hogan was huge. That's why the macho. When when people talk about the macho man, they don't talk about him doing the elbow off the top rope. They talk about his promos. Ooh yeah, dig it and all that. Now I grew up watching Championship Wrestling from Florida. So Dusty Rhodes every week. I mean, one of the greatest promo guys of all time. And then we got uh, Championship Wrestling from Georgia. And Piper had a run doing color commentary. Uh, I don't know if you remember that with Gordon Soley. That was just something that had never been done before, which was off the charts, must listen to. Uh, and then, you know, you had Michael Hayes come in with the fabulous Freebirds and, 
it's just, you know, then like you said, you go to WWE and, and Hulk Hogan and Piper there and Piper's Pit. And it's just, uh, I was always, um, I was always more of an interview guy than I, than I was yep. a wrestling guy. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And some people just have it. You know, Arn Anderson has it. He didn't need to work. Uh, he could just talk on a microphone. God knows why. He, uh, he's one of my good friends. Hey, but he was just as funny in the car and the dressing room as he was, uh, you know, good promo on the on, on a wrestling uh, television show. Just some people could talk. They just have that swag. But uh, but on top of that, he's intense with his facials and his body language and it's all that stuff in between. So it's like you still need to have good, cool moves. But what are you doing between the moves? That's like that's the stuff right there there you go everything between how open was tna as far as letting you have i know that i know from being there that a lot of the promos are not typed out word for word but but uh they give you bullet points how how open were they about letting you kind of take over and do your own thing well actually i i won't lie for the first uh year or two when i was there they were all typed out uh word by word but at the same time they were pretty lenient i don't know if that was just with me again because i had that familiarity with Lagana, so he kind of knew what I could do and part of the reason they'd hired me was for my promos because when I did the gut check thing they they kept pulling me aside to, to shoot backstage promos just to get an idea of what I could do so they'd have me cut babyface promos heel promos and something in between whatever and so at that point it was like I'd get the sheet and it would have a whole promo written out from you know start to finish um, but for the most part like you know, I'd take little bits and pieces from it, but if you read that and heard what I said, it would probably sound nothing alike other than the fact that I would hit on whatever the points were that were that were in there. Um, so they were very good. I, I think some people might work better with that. I don't, um, just because I don't think that anybody else can talk for me. Sure. Um, so it's kind of tough to, uh, and that's one of the things that I also think of, you know, the possibility of, of a WWE run at some point is just like, Man, if they give me a script, I, I can deliver it, but it's definitely not going to be as good as if you just let me go out there and do my thing. Um, so, so I, I, I don't know, but but they they were good about letting me just kind of you know do what I wanted to do. Um, I think just because they had hired me for that reason, uh, and and they just knew what I could do. And again, like I said, there was a familiarity and a and a level of trust, I guess, with Lagana because we'd already worked together before. So at some point you had an association for a while with uh, Tyrus, George Murdoch, who's a friend of the show. He's been on here a few times, and uh, I stay in contact with him and uh, a big fan of the Greg Gutfeld show. Everybody knows that. Uh, I'm wondering what you think of, uh, of, of, of his career at Fox, and uh, did you see that coming at all? You know, as somebody who probably got, you know, to hang out with him in the dressing room and get to know him, did you see that part coming, or, and what do you think of it? Well, I, I think he was kind of doing that. He, he was just kind of starting to do that uh, when, when we were hanging, when, when we were together on TV and whatnot. Uh, so I thought that was really kind of cool. Now, I, at the time, I think he was just a, an occasional guest. And, and now he's a, he's a pretty regular fixture there, right? Pretty regular, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I, man, that's amazing because I, I know at the time he just kept talking like, you know, if, if this wrestling thing ever comes to a close, I'm, I'm cool. I got this whole thing set up. I'm at Fox, whatever. I'm like, man, I, I need that. I'm like, hey, you think you can get me in? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I think that's amazing. Um, I, I never I never see the channel. I, I don't even have cable in my place. I don't think I've had cable in 10 years. Uh, but I'm very happy for him, very happy that he's uh, uh, 
uh, you know, making a living and, and having a career that's outside of wrestling. He doesn't have to get his body beaten up. He can just uh, do what he does best, and that's uh, give his opinion. Absolutely, 100%. So you went through some crazy times, I'm assuming, knowing what I know about the end of Impact, uh, the end of TNA, the beginning of Impact Wrestling. Uh, you know, the stories are out there about, you know, pay-per-views that they were trying to finance 24 hours before uh, the time. Any any remembrances of that? Did you did you uh, did you just let that roll off your back, or was that something that you kind of followed along with? No, I'm, I mean, I, there was definitely a worry and a okay. So, so I'll, I'll take you in a quick little year by year summary. But the, the, the first year that I was there got scary because uh, it was the first year we were in Destination America. I think it was the only year we were in Destination America. And uh, around the end of August was our last taping. And we ended up doing what turned into the world title series. It was just these kind of random matches. Sure. We didn't know why they were happening. Um, and we all we knew was that we weren't ta- we had no TV taping scheduled anytime in the future. And at the time, I think Ring of Honor had just taken the time slot after us. And so we're like, are they bumping us? Are we out of here? Are we done? And I remember just talking to some other people, and I'm like, what should I, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And they, they started taking people's, uh, they started changing the, the contracts around so that people were getting paid per appearance instead of uh, getting paid guarantees. So that's kind of scary because then it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to be working for this amount of time, which means I'm also not going to be getting paid, and this is my only job. Well, what am I supposed to do? And that was right around the time that I ran into some guys uh, that I knew from WWE. Uh, downtown Orlando and we were sitting there talking and that's when they started talking to me about coming back and I was like well hell yeah I want to come back because I I think this place is shutting down and uh, I I don't know what happened or what changed um, uh, but John Gaborik was was assuring me like please stay with us you know what we want to do things with you Um, I guarantee if you stay with us we'll we'll, you know I'll rip up your contract Um, we'll, we'll write you a new one for a raise whatever so I ended up staying, and we ended up coming around to what was it, uh, uh, Bound for Glory 2015, and and we ended up doing house shows in that that fall. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, this seems like a good sign. Um, so then for the next, you know, the next year, everything was fine, but it seemed like always right around Bound for Glory, there was some sort of crazy mix up. And so just before Bound for Glory 2016, then you're starting to hear the rumors again. Uh, WWE is going to buy them. They're going to shut down. Uh, they can't find the financing, and I'm like. I don't know what's happening. And so for the second year in a row, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Everything was fine. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it worked out, but somehow I think, I think it might've been Billy Corgan that might've put the money in. I'm not sure, but somehow they got the money, ran the show, continued on. Uh, then we get to 2017. You start to hear the the rumblings again. And at this point I was like, all right, I've seen this movie already. I know how it's going to go. Um, so, I think in a way you kind of you kind of get numb to it, and at that point I just felt comfortable in the fact that if if things went awry, I, I felt like I had uh, a soft landing somewhere else if I needed to, um, just because I knew there was interest elsewhere. Um, so I wasn't super worried if it would have happened. Obviously, it would have sucked for a lot of people because uh, you don't want to see anybody out of a job. Um, uh, but but at the same time, yeah, I mean, at, at some point you just kind of learn to let it roll off your back because you, you'd heard that that bell told so many times. So when it when and if it actually does happen, there's no 
nobody's going to believe it. No, no. I was going to say, you know, they say a cat has nine lives. Uh, they've beaten the cat. Uh, yeah, they right? got more lives than, than nine for sure. And um, <laughs> I actually had Ed Nordham on the show about a year ago talking about how close they actually came at one point uh, when they when they stopped doing the tapings in Orlando and moved to, to Canada and stuff, how close they actually came to uh, to shutting down. And it was it was pretty darn close. But uh, well, I can imagine because I because I mean, I, I feel kind of bad in a sense, because when he when he took over, I don't think that he understood how much like there was so many like hidden things just like hidden under rocks where it would just be like, oh, wait, oh, I owe two million to this. Exactly. Oh, wait, I owe half a million to this. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, wait, what did I take on? But th- thank God he did. I mean, I got, you know, I mean. There's a bunch of people who still have jobs, and I, I still had a job for a while after that because of that. So, Any thoughts yeah. on Dixie Carter? I, I always liked Dixie. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I can, I can see why uh, people talk about her, her business sense. I could see that there was definitely um, – I, I do think that I – I've heard the rumor that she liked to put herself on TV. I could see that. I think that all of us do. That's why we're in the business in a certain sense. But then again, if you're not talent, maybe you should just stay behind the scenes, just saying. And that's no offense to her. I always liked her. We've always gotten along. Um, but see, I, I'm for the most part kept my, my nose out of the, the office dealings. I, I just let me show up. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'll give you some ideas on some stuff, whether you want to use them or not. Uh, but other than that, I pretty much just stay out of the office dealings. Whatever's going on is going on. If the company's still running, cool, I'll be there. So I don't know. I've heard different things about how she ran the company, and I don't know anything about it. All I know is that she was always very nice to me, and I always liked her. I am so excited. It is almost here. 2019 NFL football. It's a brand-new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders, bitching about his helmet. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. Tom Brady still in New England. Something's never changed. And one thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. I would only recommend a service to my listeners. That's been good to me. That is why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win. Most importantly, they pay. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. And this year, they're doing something cool. They're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least hundred grand, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game, Got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy people out there, of which I am most definitely one of them, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Here's a cool offer. Double your first deposit up to $1,000. You get a first deposit bonus. You can only do that by using promo code RINGSIDE to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code RINGSIDE when creating your account to claim the bonus. Double your first deposit bonus up to $1,000. You can't beat that. My bookie, bet, win, get paid. We touched on it already, but uh, TNA was sold to Anthem. And um, uh, I actually was back around that time, so I, I kind of 
uh, w- w- remember a little bit. And it was it was certainly I don't know what it was like before, but there was a lot of changes. Uh, you had Jeff Jarrett come in, and then Scott Jeff left after a while, and Scott Demore came in, and then Don Callis, and they almost went out of business, and then they didn't go out of business. <coughs> and and uh, what what was that like, or was that just like like you said, was that just like uh, you know the same the same thing, different year? Well, the. <sighs> In a sense, it was the same thing, different year. But, man, that, that was a really weird time uh, for a lot of us uh, because in rolls the new regime. And it seemed like they were almost trying to completely replace everybody, um, at least from a talent standpoint. Um, you know, I, I mean, I know that there's there's obviously a, sometimes a blurred line between shoot and work. Um, but there were, there were some promos that were cut talking about, you know, uh, impact used to be great and uh, there used to be – uh, great wrestlers here and it's like well man what are you saying about all the people who are here now and it's like goddamn like and i'd felt like we'd really been we had been the strong part of that company uh for the the better part of the past two years before that now couldn't say everything for the office and the way that they were running the show but as far as the the talent and, and putting out the product we were putting i i think the talent was killing so to hear some uh, and then to see all these new talent faces coming in and on top of being told we're not very good. Now, of course, we're being told that I'm, some, some could say, well, that's a work. But is it a work? Because if you're telling the fans and you're telling the crowd, hey, the wrestlers you're watching now, I work for The Office. I'm here, a new creative guy, and I'm telling you the guys that are on the show now uh, aren't very good. They're garbage, and the guys who used to be here are great. And we're going to bring in some of those guys who used to be here right now. I remember just being like, is this really happening right now? Um, so that was a really weird time. I was very uncomfortable there. Um, and I remember actually talking to Jeff about that. And I think there was even an article written somewhere about it. Um, it, it just got kind of heated for a second because I'm like, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you would uh, come down on the talent like that. And I got it in a way because they're trying to at least tell the people, you know, things are different, things are different. And I guess that that's the best way to do it is to kind of, change around the faces in a certain sense. Um, but, but I don't know. A lot of us were very um, uncomfortable and I, I have a habit of uh, speaking my opinion sometimes, which again, hasn't done great for me in my career. Uh, but, uh, but at the time, uh, you know, I, I basically had to kind of speak for the boys and be like, and not that I was any locker room lead or anything, but it was just like, I could see the looks on other people's faces and I knew what they were feeling. And, and I was just like, what is this? Um, but apparently they weren't too angry at me because only a couple months after that I was the champion. And I was so. going to bring that up, although there might have been <laughs> there might have been a little bit of shoot in some of that. Uh, apparently they weren't referring to you because uh, they put that uh, impact title right on you and put you right in the middle of the dance on top. So uh, so I, I, I either you made your point to Jeff or they weren't talking about you. But uh, but yeah, I understand the sentiment for sure. At some point after uh, the title, you. Uh, did a bit of uh, what I like to call nostalgia. You did a, an angle with uh, Tommy Dreamer and then brought Raven in and Abyss with hardcore wrestling. Uh, as somebody who was a wrestling fan, was that kind of fun? Because nostalgia is always fun, I think. <clears> that <throat> was great because, I mean, like, I mean, you're talking about guys who are just immediately over just by showing sure. up. Um, like they don't have to do anything. It's just you mention their name and people are like, oh, oh, they're going to be here. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um so yeah, I mean that 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 was great. That that's easy. Uh, that that's an easy night at the office. Um, 
and Tommy's always got good ideas and he'll always listen to, to ideas and stuff like that. And uh, of course, then he'll also shoot them down in very hilarious fashion if he doesn't like them. So, um, so it's, it's cool. And, and, and Raven, Raven's just constantly cracking jokes in the sure. back. So, um, <laughs> just a good time but but like i said working with those guys easy peasy now the the abyss match though man it it was it was fun in a sense but i would never i never wanted to do that i was never into hardcore wrestling i don't ever want to do it again (laughs) um i i mean i don't mind doing some some you know kind of violent stuff but the thumbtacks and stuff like that i am all set on that that's tremendous Uh, yeah i don't know i uh, uh, Biss seemed to, uh, to, to he, you know, there's a few guys that seem to like that kind of stuff, and uh, I never understood it either. Sitting there at ringside watching, uh, you know, people pulling <laughs> thumbtacks out of their uh, out of their hands and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, no, let me walk and talk. I even remember Jeremy Boras. You probably remember <laughs> that went into thumbtacks and and uh, was pulling them out of places that I didn't know thumbtacks went into. But uh, oh yeah, that's a different story. So. We we kind of know if you if you follow the the business, kind of know why you left Impact. Uh, but I'm um, wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail about uh, the series of events that uh, that led to uh, your departure. Well, I, it was kind of a question uh, as far back as last year, because uh, last year my my deal had run up, and I was considering leaving. Um, uh, they. they course wanted me to stay and i was open to, to hearing it i was also shopping options elsewhere um although at the time the only option that was available last year was uh wwe and i was pretty much dead set on going there um they had they had made it known that there was there was an option for me to go there uh it would have been uh I'd, I'd have been going to the pc and, and doing nxt and all that um but it was a bit of a drop from the money I was making an impact still. But I, I was willing to take that gamble uh, to take a little bit less money to make a, you know, in hopes that I, I would get the bigger, I guess, jackpot, if, we, if you will, in the back end. Sure. Um, but, you know, I did a little bit of a life inventory at the time and I'd just gotten into a new relationship. And, and maybe I shouldn't have let that have as heavy of a, of a weight as it did. But at the time I was just like, I don't really want to leave the situation I'm in right now, as far as my living situation, just being in a new relationship with, with this girl I was in love with and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, I don't want to uproot myself right now and go to Florida. Uh, I'd rather stay here in LA, uh, kind of live the, uh, free life that I want to live at the moment. And, uh, and we'll reevaluate it and see how I feel next year. And so, uh, I had, it didn't take me long to feel like that was a bad decision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the honesty. I mean, and, and and not not in like a not in like a scathing way to impact. It was just that I think that what ended up happening was because of the fact that they were. I asked for an extension for two months because I just wanted more time to figure out what I was doing. I wanted more time to just you know kind of think it over. So they ended up giving me an extension, but I think that they were pretty certain that I was leaving. Like I remember every time I'd show up to TV and they'd be like, "Oh, you're looking real lean. Must be going to NXT." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" So they'd start writing me accordingly, which makes sense. I mean, I guess you don't want to leave a guy on top when he's out in a way. I don't know why, but fine. I guess you don't want to put him over your current talent or whatever, if he's going to be leaving. Um, so then it made it a tough, a tough move then to build me back up out of the ditch that had been dug, uh, for all that time. And so I was just kind of toiling away, not really doing anything. I didn't really have any direction. Um, 
for months and months and months. Um, and, and look, I believe me, I understand it's probably hard to write a show with that many people in it with so few, there's three writers and there's probably 30, 40 talents on the show. So I get it. Uh, at the same time though, I'm thinking like, man, I'm really wishing that I would have taken the move. Um, and so it was probably around, uh, January that, um, well, first of all, I'd heard rumblings from some friends. Hey, uh, hang in there. There's going to be some more opportunities coming up sometime soon with a new company. Uh, there's a new company coming up, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And I pretty much around January of this year, um, wrote an email to, uh, Ed Nordholm, um, uh, Don Callis and Scott Demore, just basically saying, uh, uh, Hey guys, uh, I just want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, the few years I've spent here. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm not going to be renewing this year, uh, at the end of my contract. Um, so that was as far back as January. Um, and then I talked to Scott Demore when we did a, we did a house show in like Hazleton PA or something. And I basically just leveled with him and it was just like, uh, I just told him, you know, kind of my, unhappiness in a certain level and, and he thanked me for my honesty and was just like uh, he was like alright well you know I wish you luck whatever and then it was just kind of like you know we'll, we'll kind of knock it out in, the, in these next few months because my, my contract was supposed to come up at the end of, of May and uh, so then you know as we started rolling through the stuff with Eddie started picking up and, and that was going pretty well even though I don't think that they intended to do as much as they did with it but I think we, ta- we ended up tagging one time and Tommy Dreamer really liked it, and he suggested, like, hey, these guys have really good chemistry. Why don't we keep them together for a bit? Um, so we ended up doing that for a bit, um, and that kept me a little bit elevated. Um, but then um, <laughs> them knowing that I was going to be uh, leaving at the end of May, um, I-, I think they ended up booking me with uh, Tessa Blanchard, uh, amazing, amazing female talent. She is so, I'm just gonna say amazing talent. She, she's amazingly, she's crisp in the ring, great facials, intense. Um, but they, they wanted to book an intergender match. I'm not in intergender matches. I don't think it's entertaining. I don't think it's ever been entertaining. Um, I mean, maybe if you had like Nicole Bass, uh, beating a dude up. Okay, cool. If you have China beating a dude up. Okay, cool. Um, I just wasn't in. Um, so, you know, between turning that down um, and uh, I think I did an interview somewhere where I'd said, I'd said exactly what I said to you about how I was written last summer. Um, and, but then I, you know, I'd said I really enjoyed what I'd done for the last few months before, um, you know, they'd said that I was disparaging the company and something. And so I ultimately ended up them, them firing me. Um, what, like 45 days before my contract ended or something like that. Um, so it, it was just a whole thing. And, uh, eventually, uh, Ed and I had a couple email back and forths and eventually we got on the phone together and we were able to talk it out. And, and that's like with me and Ed, like Ed and I never had a crossword. We were always cool, no issues. Um, and so, you know, we got on the, he was always available to me. That, that was the one thing I liked about working at impact was because, um, you know, if I need to talk to Ed, I talk to Ed. I could talk to the top guy, head guy. Um, and so, um, you know, he, he got on the phone with me. We talked about it. We kind of figured out 
something that was agreeable for us to move on and I could go and work somewhere else and, and they could go on and move their way. And uh, so I was very happy with my time at Impact. Not super happy with the way it ended, um, even though, you know, if, if we could have just made it another 45 days, it would have ended wonderfully. And I said, you know, this is the greatest time of my career. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of a weird, um, final four or five months because I, they had known that I was leaving the whole time. I knew I was leaving the whole time. And then, uh, just kind of the way things happen. It's, it's kind of ironic because correct me if I'm wrong, but that whole intergender thing kind of started on the, uh, Los Angeles, uh, where you live Indies. Was that sub- was yeah. something that you always thought, you know, rolled your eyes at when you saw, you know, I think they call it barstool wrestling. Uh, did a lot of them. They would have Tessa and Brian Cage. I can even remember uh, a year ago when I was at um, All In. At, I was at Starcast, uh, sitting and talking to Tully about how he felt about Tessa wrestling guys like Brian Cage, and you know he wasn't too thrilled with it. But um, you know, he said it's her, it's her career. Uh, is it something you always were not a fan of, or did, was it more on your way out? You just didn't see any. Um, any advantage in 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 putting in, in participating in that kind of match? No, I, I've never been a fan of it. It doesn't make sense to me. I I, I don't. I, I, maybe maybe I'm too old school. I don't know. But there's a lot of parody wrestling that's happening now, and I think that's fine on certain shows. You mentioned bar wrestling. Bar wrestling is a fun show that I've done. I've gone there and done goofy things. But the things that I'd do on that show, I wouldn't do on a show that I, that I was wrestling on television that had like serious angles and stuff like that. So I think there's a difference. Um, and like, to me, it just needs to make sense. There's a reason that there's a, there's a WNBA exists for a reason because those girls aren't going to be able to play with the guys in the NBA. If LeBron James went to the WNBA, what's his score an average of like 30 points a game now? He'd probably have 60, 70, 100 points a game there. That, that's just, that's, that's biology. That's anatomy. That's hormones. Like men are larger or strong. I mean, on average, not obviously there are women who are larger, but I mean, like she's 5'4", she's 160 pounds or 140 pounds. She's an amazing talent. But the idea that a five foot four wrestler at 140 pounds versus a six foot one, 230 pound man is going to go any other way than him murdering her just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and some people say, well, that's sexist. Well, then you're an idiot. Uh, I mean, it, it just, it, it, you're not being realistic. You're not living on this earth. Like, why, like, I don't know, put, take any girl who's ever played football in her life and put her on an NFL field. It's not going to work out very well for her. And that's not, it's not a sexist thing. That's just how it is. That's how we're built. That's how we're made. We're, our bone density, our muscle mass. Oh, my God, I could go on and on and on. And they say, well, it, well, it's not real. Fine. But it still has to exist in some realm of reality as far as the combat. And then people will be like, well, what about Twitter would go like, well, what about The Undertaker? He has magical powers. And first of all, you could write that off to just theatrics. But aside from that, as far as the wrestling, the combat element of his character was concerned, it was always still based in some level of reality. Like, he was, if he wrestled somebody who was bigger than him, it was still tough to pick them up. If he wrestled somebody that was smaller than them, it was still tough for them to pick him up. Um, they weren't, 
you know, he wasn't throwing somebody from across the room or there wasn't an invisible man or there wasn't something goofy like that. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so if it doesn't make sense to me, I don't want to do it. And, and, and what's <laughs> ironic is that was, what, six, eight months ago? And all this time later, uh, at the current time, there's this big debate on wrestling Twitter about whether wrestling is a performance art or a sport. Uh, I'm, I'm figuring that you that you fall into the sport category, but uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, no, I no, I, I really fall. It's not a sport in the sense that like we're not actually trying sure. to like com- compete. Well, I mean, we are trying to compete, but that's more in a business sense. Um, but but we're not trying to obviously beat each other in the ring, but. It is a performance art in a certain sense, but even performance art still has like rules and laws to it. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what, like, are you a fan of Batman? I don't know if you are or you aren't, but let's say you're a fan of Batman. Let's say, you know what Batman can do? Everything that he does is based on like gadgets and his money and all that stuff, whatever. So like, he doesn't have any actual real superpowers. But if all of a sudden Batman could start shooting laser beams out of his eyes wouldn't you be like hold on this doesn't make sense sure. this doesn't follow the rules of the batman universe sure. well the well the wrestling universe has rules those rules are essentially whatever was established when it began you can't change the rules in the middle of the game so if somebody who's 300 pounds is hard to pick up for the person who's 140 pounds then that's how it is there's, there's no other way to go about that. If, if a man, wrestling's always been based in some loose fashion on real life. If a large guy at six foot nine is wrestling a guy at five foot nine, 99% of the time he is going to murder that small guy. I'll be honest. I think Rey Mysterio is an amazing athlete, amazing performer. I think the Big Show is great. But putting the Big Show and Rey Mysterio, because that's another example that Twitter likes to give, horrible idea. It looks stupid. And I think to the average person who is a casual fan, you completely take the believability out of it. I do think that weight classes, at least in some loose form, should still be there. I think that certain spectacles can make sense. I mean, if you had Hogan and Andre, there's still a spectacle of one guy towering over the other, but it doesn't have to be a seven foot two guy over top of a five foot four guy. It doesn't make sense. And that's the same thing with intergender wrestling. Unless you've got a big, big girl wrestling like a medium to small guy, it doesn't make sense. Now, many, you know, we live in the Twitter world, the social media world. Uh, It's a totally different world that I'm used to. And, you know, there's positives and there's negatives. You know, I get to promote this podcast and talk, you know, old time wrestling on Twitter, but, uh, and promote my business on my real estate, real estate business on Facebook. But, um, but you know, there's a lot of negativity out there. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, that that opinion that you just laid out there about women versus men, a lot of people, uh, are, are going to be flabber and probably are, cause it's not the first time you said it flabbergasted by that. How, how do you handle that? Or do you just not even worry about it? Just let it roll off. Yeah. Well, well here's the thing. I, I deleted Twitter from my phone. As far as the app, I still check in and I still go there like web based, but as far like I you know, I'll just go to the website and post something, but not having it on my phone is amazing. Uh, cause I don't have to go there. I don't I even have to look at it. I don't have to think about it. I might check in on occasion, 
see what's going on. Uh, but for the most part, I just ignore. I don't, I don't even bother blocking people unless somebody says something so incredibly ridiculous. Like I've had to block people saying really weird sexual stuff. Lovely. But like, uh, but like otherwise, like I don't know. You could say anything bad about me you want. Go ahead. I don't care. I've been have at it. Most part, I probably won't even see it. Um, so I, I don't know because you got to realize what Twitter is. Twitter is first of all, it's outrage culture. Um, and there are certain things to be outraged about, but I would say most of the things on Twitter that people are outraged about completely pointless, completely worthless. And people probably just need more to do in the day with themselves. Uh, whether that's a job or a hobby or something, um, uh, just too much time staring at your phone or the computer or the wall or whatever it is. So, um, and it's easy. It's very easy to get into a negative mind space when you're doing that. When you're inactive, these people are angry at themselves. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. They're angry at themselves. And then let me just spew this out at somebody else. And Twitter is such an easy way to do it because they don't have to look anybody in the eye. And they can just type something and hide behind the keyboard. Yeah, this this past weekend, um, uh Jim Cornette, you might or might probably don't know, but Jim Cornette was feuding with a couple of people over this performance art uh, thing, and and somebody tagged me on on one of them, and like towards the end of the day, and I was like, oh geez, what did I miss? And I I regret writing that uh, that response because they showed me the whole thing, and I I I, 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 I thought to myself, <laughs> there is nothing positive that could come out of me responding in any way, no. shape, or form. So I'm just gonna let it no. roll. I'm just gonna let it go. Because if I if I try to see one side, the other side's going to get hot. If I see try to see Cornette's side, then I'm you know I'm a, I'm a sexist uh, piece of crap. And so I just I, I said yep. I, I turned on the ba- the Rays game. I was like, uh, there's nothing good could come out come out of that. But um, it it does nothing good. But at the same time, it's like I, I see what one side's saying because in a way, I've always said that this is an art. It is an art in a certain sense. But but to to think that it's a performance art in the sense that like, okay, well now I can completely, I don't know. I don't want to knock anybody, but like if you're walking out to the ring and you don't look like you want to win a match, you don't look like you're into the match. Sure. You just look like you're there just hanging out in the ring, whether you're throwing little fake kicks or whatever. Wh- what are you doing? I don't understand how, like how did that person, how did that character like in a, in a kayfabe sense, how did that guy become a wrestler? How did he ever win a match? Yeah, I, I, the um, one thing I do know about that whole situation, and I know for sure because I've gotten to know him, uh, I feel pretty positive, is that if, if people think that they're going to, like, upset Jim Cornette by calling him names or, 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 or <laughs> unfollowing him on Twitter, uh, they that's uh, – there's not – I, I see him get upset about – he's uh, about politics. But when it comes to, like, uh, politically correct stuff, he's the last person who gives a crap. And uh, and he he's just rolling. He's probably just entertaining himself on this stuff, you know. And uh, you know he he used to have to fight his way back. They used to have to fight their way back in Texas and Louisiana and Memphis uh, from people trying to stab him. And he's worried about somebody oh, yeah. writing him on Twitter that he's a sexist. Uh, I, I he could care less. Right. That I know. So moving forward and wrapping up. And I appreciate your honesty. I really do. It's been an interesting conversation. Because uh, we live in interesting times, and for this 53-year-old guy, it's sometimes tough to to see the way things are going. Um, not really a politically correct guy, and sometimes I think uh, may go a little bit too far, so to speak. 
Well, not just that, but it's like, you know, there's a, there's a business that I, dare, dare I say an art form that I fell in love with, which is professional wrestling. And, it, and it's become so bastardized in a way um, to the point where there, there is so much parody. It's almost like, it's almost like the people in wrestling. Uh, okay. So like, I can remember middle school, like, you know, I used to have like, I had like an undertaker t-shirt, I had a diesel t-shirt. It was like, I wouldn't wear them to school though. Cause I was afraid the other kids would make fun of me. So like, I would just wear them at home or whatever, but like, it's almost like those kids still carry that into their wrestling career. And it's almost like they're ashamed of being wrestlers to the point where now they're like making fun of the wrestling while wrestling. It's really strange. Um, cause everybody's kind of like a caricature of a wrestler. Um, not everybody, but, but you know what I mean? In some of these scenes, um, and it's very strange cause it's like, it feels like they're hurting their own business. I don't know. I mean, unless you're going, unless you're going for a crowd that looks at wrestling as a silly circus sideshow and you're like, Oh, Hey, we're in on the joke. Come watch our show. Cause we're making fun of wrestling. That's what it feels like to me in certain certain not, not to get off on a tangent but it seems to me like the whole thing kind of started with a guy with a superhuman penis and 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 that uh, you know <laughs> i spoke to joey at wrestlecon this past uh this past and i interviewed him for the network i was working for at the time and um and he you know he just says hey i'm just doing my thing you know and and if people like it cool yeah. if people don't like it that's cool so he doesn't take it too seriously so why should anybody take it too seriously i see both sides of that whole thing but you know what the people that are into it are into it and so you got to give them what they want i i, I guess and that's the thing because because he and he and i have, have talked about that too um nobody knows this but uh, he actually stayed here at my place for about three months uh this past spring and summer uh he was just in a transition period moving from one place to another i've known him for a long time we've been friends but i i, I don't like his wrestling he probably doesn't care for my wrestling um but that doesn't mean that we can't get along and be friends and I can't occasionally do his bar wrestling show. Um, it's just, you know, as far as my business, I don't want to do that kind of stuff. Well, that's the point I would have tried to make on Twitter this weekend, but I decided, I thought about it and I decided that, uh, you know, that, that you're never going to please everybody in that forum. So, uh, the, you know, the quiet, the, the staying quiet is probably the better part of valor as Gordon Soley used to say. Uh, as a take off, I, I would so, agree. At least on Twitter. So, so um, <laughs> listening to your story, as I am, I would have thought after Impact Wrestling, just from all the things you were saying, you would be NXT bound or maybe All Elite Wrestling bound. Um, I'm assuming that was your plan. And how did you end well, up with the NWA? <clears throat> uh, well. Um, uh, the, the AEW thing got kind of tricky. Um, we, we had talked about it, um, but never ended up coming to an agree. Well, we came to an agreement at one point, and then we didn't again. Um, so um, it, it just didn't end up working out. And with NXT, I was kind of the, – the past three years before this year, I had hit them up like, hey, my contract's coming up. Um what's available for me. And they basically told me this, this, this. And at some point then I ended up turning it down. So after three years in a row, I just kind of felt like, all right, well, I don't really want to ring that bell again, unless I'm absolutely certain that I'm going. So I didn't even bother reaching out. As far as I know, nobody reached out to me. Uh, if they did, I missed the email and I missed the phone call. Um, <laughs> so 
it, it was just kind of, you know, and I had certain friends who work there who were like, hey, maybe you should just reach out to so-and-so and just let them know you're available. And I was just like, ah, I don't know. So I, you know, I ended up talking to, uh, actually also Joey Mercury reached out to me from Ring of Honor. Um, and this was maybe just a couple of days before I ended up talking to Lagana and Billy. Um, and it was kind of at that point, like, all right, well, who's got the best deal for me? Um, uh, but, but I always liked Joey Mercury. So when, when I saw his, uh, his phone number pop up and, and we were talking about uh, ring of honor, that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, then I ended up uh, talking to Lagana, um, just kind of worked out a deal and, and kind of everything that they were saying was just, it just kind of seemed to fit me the best. Like, I feel like that if I look at the landscape of wrestling right now, I think the two best fits for me are NWA and the WWE, just because of the way that they do right. things. Um, I haven't seen what AEW does yet necessarily. I, I like what Cody's done. I like, uh, I, I liked, um, I liked his match with Nick last year. I liked his match with, uh, uh, with Dustin, match with the match with um, Dustin was tremendous, and I, I, I'm one of these guys that that predicted that it was going to be uh, lame because most, you know, I've said this before on this podcast, 99 out of 100 times, brother versus brother, road warrior versus road warrior, Robert Gibson versus Ricky Morton, nobody cares about for whatever reason, and boy, did they prove me wrong. Absolutely, and and the, the only thing that that I'm that I'm that I think about when I see AEW though that kind of concerns me is I, is I wonder if some of the lower card is going to work with the mainstream because there is some of the the parody wrestling, if you will, um, just a little bit, and and I just I don't know I don't know how that's going to go over with the mainstream. I could be wrong, and maybe that'll get over huge, um, but I feel like that kind of clashes with something like. Uh, Cody and Dustin, like with a match like that, and then considering like that crazy battle royal they had, um, I, it's just something. It just it just doesn't line up, um, and and that's not a knock. I mean, I, I think in a, in, a, in a sense you have to try everything, especially when you're just first starting out. So maybe at this point it's kind of well, let's let's try stuff and let's see what people gravitate toward because they have their built-in audience now, um, but they also need to grow. Um, and so that's when you do need to try things. So who knows with that? But as far as I can tell, looking at the wrestling landscape, the two best fits for me right now would be WWE or NWA. And NWA is just, man, it, it just seems to fit really well right now as far as schedule, compensation, what they want to do, because a lot of the stuff is, is personality-based. Um, and I like that. It just the way it was communicated to me was like, we want to use your personality and get that over and then sell the matches. And I said, you're preaching, you are singing and speaking my language right now. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's kind of an exciting thing to think that we're having TV coming up here in Atlanta at the end of, end of September as well. Um, so, I, I don't know. It, it's just a matter of, if I look at the, even the landscape of the guys that, that NWA has right now, it's not a big roster, but if you look at them, all of them look like grown men. And I think that that's a thing that's kind of missing from a lot of wrestling right now. And But that's something that I like because the guys in the ring, I don't think, should look like the guys in the audience. Uh, we should be larger than life. We should look like athletes. We should look like 
we can kick the ass of just about everybody in the audience. Agree, hundred. I agree, hundred um, percent. Absolutely. So, so that's one of the draws that I like about NWA, albeit a small roster and you know not the biggest company in the world right now. Uh, a lot of potential um, and good personalities. And again, like I said, just guys who look like <laughs> grown men who could actually hurt somebody. And and uh, and even I'll give uh, props to uh, uh, Allison K. Uh, Sienna, she's. I think she's a really good. Like, as far her facials, everything she does in the ring, and of course she's the women's champion. Um, so yeah, I mean, NWA just seems like the right fit right now. I, I saw uh, that they're actually doing it at a television studio, which is uh, uh, real old school. That's my cup of tea. Uh, yeah. Really interested to see how that how that turns out because uh, that's taken it old school and 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 uh, really has me interested. Any other uh, any other hints you might be able to give to the people that to the listeners as far as any uh, what you're going to do with the television, what they're going to do with the television programs, or anything for the future? Or I mean, I it, well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you. I need some hints because <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know if they if they if I, they uh, need yeah, a ring. If, I don't I don't know, man. I, I mean, I, I check in from time to time, <laughs> but for the most part, I, I kind of just. Uh, once they tell me I need to go somewhere, that's about it. Well, if they need an old school wrestling ring announcer, uh, there you there go. There you go. <laughs> I'm just uh, seven hours down the road here in Tampa, Florida. Hey, you mentioned getting into acting. Um, how, how has that worked out, if at all? And how hard is that uh, compared to the wrestling business or easy? Well, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I've put my heart and soul into it. Um, I definitely. I mean, the, the way that I went after wrestling uh, I definitely haven't gone after acting, but um, but I have I've done some things here and there. I haven't done a lot recently, honestly. Um, but I started actually when I was still living back in Cincinnati. Um, I ended up booking a commercial for Audi, the grocery right. store. Um, did a that was like my first speaking commercial. It was pretty much it, it was like it was Audi wide, so it was everywhere in the country where they had Audis. Um, what did I? I did a show on Animal Planet called. Uh, uh, what was that called? Fatal Attractions. That was in the very first episode. My character got eaten by Lovely. lizards. Um, <laughs> not, hey, not many people uh, can say that, by the way. They got something to yeah, tell right? your grandkids. Uh, and then uh, I think when I first got out here to L.A., I, I ended up nailing a uh, jewelry exchange commercial, which was nation, uh, nationwide. Uh, but I don't. I haven't done really a whole lot since. There's been a couple other things, and I've probably forgotten some things, but... I mean, of course, I had a little extra and background. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I did the Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing, but that, that – it was an actual character, but the final cut was cut down to literally like two seconds of screen time. Um, so like I'm, I'm getting married to my gym girlfriend, I guess, uh, and Terry Crews is uh, – he's the one that's doing the, the wedding. And um, But yeah, that, I had a whole – they gave me a name, a character, all that, and then by the time it came to do the scene – Literally, I was just doing some facials, and if you blink, you miss me. As, uh, you, think you actually got a name as opposed to guy that gets eaten by a lizard. Yeah, my name is Mario. <laughs> so, yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> man. Although, I, I, actually, even the guy who got eaten by the lizard was a real guy. His name is Ron Huff. <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be cooler to just be the guy who got eaten by the lizard. What? What the hell do I? Do? <laughs> uh, this is uh, guy eaten by lizard exactly. number two. Um, hey, 
great time talking to you. I knew it would be just uh, uh, judging from uh, uh, your 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 promos and and stories that I've heard and other interviews that you've done. Uh, thank you for br- being brutally honest. Uh, it's not it's not easy to be brutally honest these days. Um, I don't know how to how to be any go. other way. Well. Um, I wish you the best. I'm looking forward to seeing what the NWA has to do. And uh, let's stay in touch and uh, appreciate you being on the podcast, telling your story. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. What a great chat with Eli Drake. And I'm very interested in seeing how the television tapings go, what direction they're going to go, where they pop up. There's so many streaming platforms now. You never know. And, um, and, and, and thank him for his brutal honesty. Uh, some people aren't going to like what he has to say, and he doesn't really care. And there's a part of me that appreciates that because uh, not many people don't care. You know, it's human nature to care what other people say about you. Uh, so, so good for him. Congratulations to him. And I uh, hope him and the entire National Wrestling Alliance has a great future. It's what I grew up watching from a studio and so i'm really really like i said interested to see the product and you know you you got ring of honor now sinclair just bought all the fox sports regional network so there's uh, more places for wrestling for ring of honor and you got AEW as we discussed earlier on tnt you got nxt on usa raw smackdown is going to fox and now you have the NWA, not to mention Impact Wrestling, still trying to find a landing place other than Pursuit. So uh, I wish all of them the best of luck. And it's so cool that there's so many places that uh, wrestlers could earn a living at these days. And a uh, great time to be a wrestling fan. Great time to be a wrestler, as I've said plenty of times. Uh, like I said earlier, looking forward to speaking to Joe Hedding, a.k.a. Curtis Axel. Uh, hopefully he will be the guest next week. Uh and um, we're looking forward to having him. If you have any questions that you would like me to ask Joe Hennig, please hit me up at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside on Twitter. If you don't follow me on Twitter, be sure to give me a follow. Always talking wrestling and uh, uh, I don't get involved in controversies. We just we just talk about old school and and uh, old uh, old videos and like to relive the past. Nostalgia rocks. And uh, so we hope that with this podcast at Ringside, Uh, You get to hear from your favorite wrestlers and also a little nostalgia here and there uh, because that's what keeps my wrestling interest peaking. So until next week, this is David Penzer. I'm still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Hey gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but we are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, A Place for My Head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.